0: goodness there's some lovely sticks of rhubarb pulled and if you're gonna fetch some uh, really strong stems out you want to run your thumb down the top of the stem right the way down to the bottom and then just give it a bit of a tweak and a pull and then you've got a lovely 18 uh, inch stick of rhubarb. I'll get those indoors and uh, Into the saucepan, and get those nicely stewed. Our thanks to this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants Limited of Pershaw Worcestershire. (laughs) Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to exchange some news, views, a bit of seasonal advice and uh, hopefully answer some of your gardening quandaries along the way. It's been a busy day. A couple of columns knocked off first thing this morning and then more seedlings to transplant. Um, A whole lot of empty pots had to be sorted out, ready to uh, pot pansies up at Hyde Hall. Uh, and uh, when I delivered those, I was able to make a start on uh, erecting canes and tying cord and sweet peas. It's interesting, they're about nine inches high. Pretty cold up there it is from an, an October sowing. While in the polytunnel, uh, they're best part of a metre tall and the first flower stems now starting to uh, extend. But everything seems to uh, need water. Although with the the nights still cold, I prefer to do this in the morning, ideally with the sun up, to start warming things up a little. Oh, yeah, I have to tell you, when you've had a full day uh, and you come in, uh, there's nothing to beat a nice cup of tea. Excuse me just a minute. Uh, What a joy that is, eh? I spoke last week about um, the anemone mistral and a ranunculus, the Persian buttercup florist choice uh, coming from um, Richard Jackson and how I had soaked both of them for a few hours before planting. Well, it certainly helped because the ranunculus first choice were up within the week. Uh, no doubt being in the kitchen in the warm every night helped but I was surprised how quick they came through. The anemones haven't come through yet, but uh, that doesn't surprise me. I'm still on that uh, evening and morning ritual. Tender seedlings and rapidly growing begonias brought into the kitchen each night and then out again the next morning. Even with repeated cold nights, after several really lovely days here in Essex, plants are on the move. I've got two short rows of asparagus and with the uh, row in a most sheltered position against a west-facing fence, uh, I see that there are two spears ready to cut. I suppose that's about on schedule towards the end of April is when uh, I would normally start to uh, cut a few spears of asparagus. I've harvested um, winter gem lettuce too from the polytunnel. Do you know when I'm sitting in the train and looking out... uh, at all those greenhouses and cold frames that are left empty in back gardens from November to April, I don't understand why uh, more of you uh, don't plant uh, winter lettuce seedlings. You know, if they're sown mid-October and the seedlings transplanted by uh, late November, you'll be cutting the most beautiful lettuce uh, late April and into May and all of those uh, greenhouse and protected spaces could be uh, so much more productive as a result. As I hope you heard, there's lots of rhubarb to pull, but it needs a good water and some blood, fish and bone fertilizer to get more stems to replace what I've been pulling. Uh, I noticed the first scarlet lily beetle on the snake's head fritillary. Bright scarlet they are, so they're easy to see, And if you have a couple of warm days, that's when they usually get on the wing. And I uh, invariably see the first ones on the snake's head fritillary. And then in a week or two's time, of course, once the lilies get up, they can uh, really give those a pasting. But they're quite tricky to catch. You need to have one hand cupped underneath them before you go in and try and pick them off because if they drop to the ground and fall upside down their black underside is just impossible to find and if you leave them goodness just get one or two sets of uh, eggs laid then their messy larvae can uh, create havoc. What's new? Well in the post today came uh, the autumn (laughs) catalogue yes You know, commercial growers are uh, worrying about planning for uh, summer crops that they can sell in the autumn. Uh, And the autumn catalogue came from the primrose breeder, Rudy Race, from Belgium. Uh, He's the fellow who uh, introduced the Primula Everlast. What a fantastic yellow primrose that is. It flowers from September to May is perennial and will look even better in the second year from the first from uh, our experience up at uh, Hyde Hall. He's also got a Primula Veristar midi which is like um, a yellow polyanthus, a very free flowering and and a pretty good plant and in uh, this new catalogue for next autumn he has a cream flower with a very deep centre Called Sunnyside Up, that's mid season, Veristar Midi, and uh, also a deep orange called Marmalade, the first in the Veristar Late series. I must lay hands on those and uh, get some planted so that we can see uh, how they respond to Essex conditions. <laughs> I'm very pleased to welcome today as our podcast uh, interviewee, Richard Harnett. Uh, Richard and I go back, uh, well, perhaps too many years, one might say. And Richard, you were advisor in your very early days to quite a wide section of the trade. And I, as a technical representative for a commercial company, went out trying to give advice. We have very few of those people now. So what's happened? Do we need them? I think
1: we're we're losing a little bit, Peter. We don't have on the nursery any particular entomology, uh, pathology or soil science advice. Uh, We do have independent uh, advisors and it it is getting a a little bit problematic, particularly things like Vine Weevil now. What the hell are we going to do with with, uh, controlling that in the future? Some of our companies now give us good advice so we get along, and uh, I I just hope that that will continue in the future. I
0: mean, when you started as an ADAS advisor, uh, how many of you were there? There were about 160 of us in the
1: experimental horticulture. I was in experimental horticulture at at Efford, but I think overall there were 160 of us. Uh, there could have been more officers or those helping, supporting. I'm sure there were. I, I met you first, Peter, at the experimental station, I think in about 65 when you were working for a peak company. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was very envious of you because I had my old A40 knockabout and you had a very smart rover. So I thought, uh, oh, there must be better things to do than either. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I only got the Rover when I went independent. It was a Ford Cortina when I was on the road (laughs) giving advice. (laughs) I've been reading your 40-year history. Well, I'm partway through. You're you're giving it to us week by week. Uh, And I'm absolutely fascinated. Can you tell us how you first of all started then? Because you were on the road giving advice, and then back at home you started growing things.
1: Yeah, well, as you know, Peter, the Ministry of Agriculture like, to move people on. They didn't want to be expert at anything for, for very long. And so I was working on tomatoes, particularly in glasshouse orientation at, at Efford. And they thought that was, that was enough of that. And so uh, a chap called GC Williams moved me on to Cornwall uh, to look after a little experimental station, a substation of Rosewarne called Elbridge. I got there in a, in a year and uh, then they closed it. <laughs> so I moved on. <laughs> oh, crumbs, yeah. <laughs> so successful in closing. So I, I moved on to a local uh, advisory work in the Tamar Valley, a lovely area, but like many areas uh, in demise. And there were 1,500 growers in the post war period. I joined them, and there were 169 registered growers, I suppose today there wouldn't be 20. Then I moved to Exeter and eventually to Bristol to look after the glasshouse advice in the uh, southwest. But at that time, things were getting tighter and the ministry were charging for advice. And we know the story now that it's it's nothing.
0: That's right. There's hardly anybody in there. All the experimental stations gone, all the advisors gone, yeah. You had a little sideline, fortunately. (laughs) The
1: ministry didn't like that, Peter. Um, I had several letters telling me to desist. Uh, And uh, my wife, uh, Jan, uh, was the actual uh, owner of this little uh, sideline. And it was just a a sideline at the start. I was interested in doing my own little experimental work. With a few polythene tunnels and stuff outside, growing vegetables, tomatoes, cues, strawberries, the crops of the, the Tamar Valley. And uh, I liked uh, messing about with that and earning a penny or two as a, as a sideline. And that happened for about uh, five or six years. I started in 76. I uh, purchased from a local grower, was giving up three 14-foot-six Robinson tunnels, plastic tunnels. And I had to travel, borrowed a, a Massey Ferguson and trailer and went uh, about 10 miles to uh, pick up these these uh, three tunnels. Uh, I think they were about 50 foot long. And so I put those up. Uh, when I came back with that Massey Ferguson, I came down a steep hill and I didn't realise that this Massey didn't have any brakes. And so... Uh, <laughs> I went went into this side of uh, bank when somebody wanted to pass by these Cornish lanes are a bit narrow you you may know and uh, went into this side of the bank because I couldn't stop any other way and and brought back the 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 three tunnels and and uh, with the help of Jan we we dug the edges and put that up and uh, that I think I've still got a picture of it. Of the, it was my growing area for a few years undercover. Then I did a little bit outside. And and then how would you sell the produce that you grew then? That would go to local retailers? Yes, it went to local greengrocers. I, I knocked on their door and said, you'd like a dozen lettuce. And there was a wholesaler uh, in Plymouth. I, and if I had a glut of, of lettuce, uh, I, I sold and... Uh, it seemed to be in, in demand. I, I knew how to grow a few things, and
0: I think Richard, we should also explain to our listeners uh, that um, you know you started out with the house on quite a steep slope, uh, a nice south-facing slope, but quite a steep slope, and 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 when you started to do vegetatively propagated things for. Patio pots and baskets, um, like Topsy, the unit sort of grew a bit, didn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, Pete. I hoped you wouldn't mention that,
1: because as a glasshouse advisor, <laughs> I was always telling my clients that if you wanted to start a, a new glasshouse nursery, for goodness' sake, get it level or nearly level. Well, that isn't too easy in, in, in Cornwall, as you may know, and um, <laughs> uh, we didn't want to move from Cornwall. And so we're stuck there, and uh, you're, you're quite right that uh, I'm on a, a slope of 10%, and uh, if my son's listening to this, Bruce, who's now the MD, he, he will constantly remind me that I've made a big mistake with that, uh, but uh, we seem to work around <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, how many plants are you producing there now? We we do around about 14 million, so uh, about... and. Um, so I I never built anything that was permanent. I thought that polythene tunnels could be taken down and we could leave the ground as it it was. Um, So there's nothing sort of permanent. I didn't think it would be a a job for life in in 81 at all. So it wasn't until much later that uh, I uh, thought about that, until 1988 when I decided that the ministry wasn't, really getting going anywhere that would be my future. And fortunately, I, I think I had a turnover of about 150,000. Then we built it up to that that I decided to join Jan. Permanently and and work uh, on our own. And they thought I was mad, of course. <laughs> but what was interesting, Peter, that you know, I, I did several talks and wrote articles about what I'd seen when I'd been to the States and what I'd learned since. And uh, the industry weren't really interested. and Nobody really picked it up. And so it was good that I had this little niche crop
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What about the current and the future? Um I mean, I think you're having a little dabble into succulents. Oh, yes. yes. And I saw a few grasses knocking about, I think. Uh, I
1: think a few grasses, <laughs> yes. Yes, I mean, one or two things like that. And, and you, you weren't uh, there, I think, Peter, in, in the May period. And uh, in 1997, uh, we were doing carpet bedding, this uh, Victorian Uh, bedding plant schemes that um, were planted out in uh, in situ but um, that's all planted meticulously by by hand and I thought this was a bit of a long job and uh, then uh, got the idea of making it a bit like a jigsaw planting up trays uh, in uh, a design and putting them all together And that would be quicker to plant. And that was called InstaPlant. And um, that really did very well. It hasn't done so well since COVID. But um, there are still people who uh, plant up fairly big designs. Last year, even in NHS, we planted one, huge one, right outside Buckingham Palace. (laughs) 2005, we filled out... uh, the uh, square at uh, Trafalgar for a a day and put one down, a design down one day and took it up the next and then took it to Exmouth for the rest of the season. That's been a sideline and and very interesting and uh, I was uh, happy to do that and we we still do that and we do a lot in 2D and in 3D and uh, 3D is becoming quite important Spitfires and everything else and and owls and goodness knows what we're doing in 3Ds. But I should say, Peter, that uh, it it, it has been interesting and all this has been done really without any hardcore borrowing. Uh, I've not bothered uh, the bank at all apart from a little bit of overdraft for... uh, working capital in the first years. So the the philosophy, and I don't know if it's been right or wrong, Peter, we've done sort of all right out of it, but uh, all all our expansion has been done out of profits, out of cash flow, and uh, that's a way that um, Bruce, my son, seems to be
0: continuing. So we have to be a little bit proud of that. I think you should be proud. You know, I would like to congratulate you on your foresight, your energy um, and, and your efforts. I mean, how many people do you employ now? You know, when you stop and think that you and Jan yeah. started growing a few lettuce and now how many livelihoods depend well, like on that. you? I could
1: have never have thought of it uh, in the 40 years ago. Peter, we have about uh, 55 full-time equivalent employees, permanent And then uh, at this moment, uh, we have probably another 40 temporary people. A lot of those come from Eastern Europe, but uh, many of them are local now. And so we've got nearly 100 people working for us at this moment. And I should say, Peter, that this year, well, 12 months ago, I thought the the sky had fallen in. And uh, this year, I think uh, it's going to be our record year. And gardeners really are interested, and I think is it four million new gardeners in the year after COVID?
0: Yes, a, a tremendous number, without question. But it certainly
1: yeah. had an effect. I think in in the UK, and it seemed to be the Northern Hemisphere. My my friends in in uh, the states uh, reporting the same, and I think it's the same in the continent. Well, I, I mentioned the states uh, uh, a big change or help, um, and many people have helped us in in our time, was uh, joining a group called uh, Proven Winners. And um, a chap called Gary Gruber, who was with Kinslers in in Germany, um, promoted this in in the States. And uh, he heard of Kernock Park uh, back in uh, in 94. And uh, we had a chat and uh, I became a member of proven winners and that has been very helpful in getting sourcing new plants and we've always got to be ahead you mentioned succulents peter and we, and we can't stand still what i grew in this i mentioned you know, the early ones like uh, lotus and a head that's all now ten a penny i think we used to we used to get 50 pence in, in for a seven-centimeter pot in, in in the early eighties, that's equivalent to about one pound sixty now. I'd, I suppose today, if if somebody sells one <laughs> of these plants in a, a seven-centimeter, they'd be happy to get thirty pence. It's just incredible how how it's now uh, changed, and so we have to change with that and grow the plants that are not easy to grow. Uh, we we're, we're doing a lot of quite difficult plants now and uh, succeeding with it and where it's going in the future I don't know but
0: quite but uh, we're always having to look ahead. Richard thanks for joining us today Um, uh, I congratulate you again and very much look forward to uh, meeting you at uh, one of our trade events I've had my two jabs I hope you have and soon we will be let off the lead (laughs) and away we go again well
1: (laughs) Peter, I get my second jab this afternoon because I'm much younger than you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and what about the tailpiece? How about a quote from Rachel to Tame? I get a lot of flack from people who say you can't be a real gardener and try to grow your nails. But I wear gloves for serious gardening. I'm with Rachel although perhaps don't wear gloves as often as is advisable. But I hate dirty hands. If you're going to work neatly, quickly and efficiently, you need clean fingers, not hands caked in mud, and even worse, picking up a tool and finding the handle uncomfortably soiled. Yeah. If uh, you think what you're doing, you can keep your hands clean. You don't have to be... uh, Mudded up all the time. Have a good week. Look forward to speaking to you next week. No better, power power.
1: And Our
0: thanks to this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants, Plants Limited, Pershaw, Worcestershire, to my producer, Rich Charman, and of course to you for listening. And what about the tailpiece? How about a quote from Rachel to time? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.